Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Christina Sauer, an associate editor for National Geographic Kids Books, who brings us a new book from this great organization. It's Why? The Human Body, 99-plus Awesome Answers for Curious Kids. Christina Sauer, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Well, thank you so much, Kate, for having me here. Well, I'm very excited based on the work that you do and this latest book from National Geographic Kids and what great fun it is, not just for kids, but for, you know, us uh, older kids, or I guess we're adults, (laughs) but we can have fun with it as well. So here we are. Are and I think it's it's called kind of the 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 sibling the the younger sibling of an earlier book on the body on why is that right? Yeah, so we had a best-selling book called Why. It's over one hundred or one thousand one hundred and eleven answers to everything. Say that five times fast. <laughs> um, and it was a, a bigger book that really focused on. Some of the subjects that kids ask why about everything from animals to the human body. And so after the success of that book, we thought, you know, why don't we delve a little bit deeper into the human body since it is such a popular subject with kids and adults, as you said. So this one is a little bit smaller and a little bit shorter, but it has over 99 questions for and answers for, for those curious kids or honestly as a guidebook for adults when you get stumped. Whenever those kids ask you questions like, why does my face pucker when I eat something sour? Or why am I getting hangry? And can I live forever? (laughs) And that is what is so perfect that we have the book for kids to resort to or parents to direct kids toward. But I think about how, you know, we... Decades ago, when I was a kid, we didn't have these resources, and and we would get these kind of, we'd have the questions, but then make up our own answers or have just kind of, uh, maybe even warped ideas of of what the body was and how it worked. So I think this is so fabulous, and it's really like such a jump on knowledge and information, uh, for the future. Oh, it's so true. And we break this book down for kids. And I would say the age range is a a little bit older in the sense of like er, later elementary to middle school. But honestly, it's it's for anyone. And like you said, we break it down to like anatomy, senses, genetics, brain, gross stuff, and the future. So it kind of appeals to every kid and, and their questions. But same to your point, like we actually have a section about debunking myths that many of us have been taught since we were children, like the fact that we thought that you could taste different tastes depending on where it is in your tongue. That's not true at all. Or that you roll your tongue based on your genetics. Um, we like to go into those because many times you didn't make up the questions or, and this is pre-Google, we, we had to go find the answer somewhere or you get wrong information from the internet. So we made sure to ask the really simple questions in the very early stages of the anatomy being like, tell me about what your ass is, how, how you hear, how you see, things like that. But then we start to go even further in depth, which I know the kids are always like, yeah, I know, I know about the ear, but like one of our favorite questions is like, why when I listen to music, do I want to start moving and dancing? And so we answer those too. And in fact, that does show up on this 
wonderfully colorful uh, cover of the book about moving to music. So can you answer that for us, Christina? Yeah, there are so many things about the human body that we don't know. And at Nat Geo, we're not afraid to ask those hard questions or find out who's doing that research, too. And we honestly still don't know. People are doing a lot of research into it. And we think they call it like the happiness regions of our brain also control movement. So they think that that's actually related to that. So when you hear something that you really like, it might trigger that happiness region, which also makes you kind of want to move. And some people just have better moving ability than others and and have, uh, is that our muscles? Is that our bones? Uh, or is it genetics? You know, and that's one of the fun things. We do discuss a variety of different things and why you like some things or why you can do some things or why you look like other people. And a lot of that does relate back to genetics. Um, we even answer questions like, why, why do mosquitoes like to bite me and not my friends? Um, and the truth is, again, it's, we're finding out it's all related to our genes. We also break down genes for kids so they understand we throw that word out a lot. They hear it a lot in movies. But we talk about what is a gene? Why is it important? How does it impact you um, from everything from I like spicy foods or I absolutely can't stand cilantro? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a that's a biggie. Uh, on that specific note, how I just love cilantro on just about anything, and my husband cannot tolerate it. He hates it, and he says it tastes like soap. Oh, me too. But then I love spicy food. So it's really funny that one gene says, yep, I can eat all the spicy foods I want, and then the other one says, no, cilantro in any form makes me really want to gag. So here we are. What is exciting, we can ask these questions and you, and they're answered at at a uh, understandable level for, for young kids, but also just enough information and without a lot of jargon for us older kids. Oh, it's so true. And we really like to do that where it, it distills it down, but we don't take out the really hard words mm-hmm. and that jargon. We make sure that you... You learn when we talk about, like, can we age forever, why we haven't figured that out. And we say, well, it's related to chromosomes and our telomeres. And we think that they keep uh, shortening as they replicate. And we think that that is affecting the aging process. So we actually say those words for kids so that when, whether either now or later in life, when they hear it again, they can go, oh, I do. I understand the basics of this. And now I can take that next step and learn genetics or human biology. Right. And there, too, is such an exciting part of it that becoming aware of this at a at a young age, just what it does spark in the mind about what we might envision for what we want to study, what might be our future career. Oh, absolutely. And that's the funny thing is, the human body just seems to make sense to the subject because it's something we deal with every single day. And it's pretty incredible. And also a lot of it is unknown. But like you said, you could talk about the brain and thinking about maybe neuroscience or physiology. You could also talk about if you like sports, why can I run really fast? Or why is it when I get really cold after jumping out of a swimming pool that I'm shivering automatically? So it starts to connect practical real life things with hard sciences, or just some humanities too, like we talked about with singing or art. 
um, to kind of open children's worlds and, and get them curious about it. So thinking about it along those lines, for you, Christina, how did that germinate for you to find yourself in this work, working with National Geographic and particularly here with the sciences? Yeah, so I feel so lucky and honored to be a part of National Geographic. I think many of us have some connection, whether that's as a child reading the magazines or watching the channel growing up. For me, I really got invested in science communication when I was a kid. Uh, I had a sister who's actually a brain cancer survivor, but she got sick when she was little, and there was an environmental contaminant in our area. And I remember all of the adults and what was happening in our community. People were talking in these big phrases and, and discussions, and I was really scared. And I just, in that moment, realized I never wanted to feel like I couldn't access information or understand what was going on around me because many times adults forget to talk, talk to kids about what's going on or explain really complex scientific subjects in a manner that they can understand. So that's kind of followed me throughout my career. And here at Nat Geo, I'm a, an associate editor, and I get to take hard subjects, fun subjects, and explain to kids, especially in the STEM regions, like empower them so that they can understand their own world, uh, whether it's from the human body or climate change, anything, any, anything and anything in between. Right. And probably something that really would have been such a gift or comfort to you as a child and, and this was going on with your sister and your family. Absolutely. And I just, I love when I see these types of books in kids' hands because honestly, I I know when you learn it in school, it's really, really hard to, to take it home and understand the practical concepts. Um, applications and so these books we make them really fun like the cover we like to put lots of bright colors and relatable images whether it's someone who looks like you or something that you eat during the day so that kids want want to read these books and they somehow learn while having fun Exactly. I, I think it's just so wonderful because, uh, well, pictures tell a lot of the story to begin with. They, they grab the attention, whereas if we have it in our textbooks, sometimes it's just, uh, well, black and white, lots of print. And uh, even if you Google it, that can be so much the part of it. So here, at a young age, at this level, to just make it so uh, exciting and captivating, uh, it, it's just such an invaluable gift. Oh, well, thank you. And Paige Teller, our author, did a fabulous job of also making it conversational. So you feel like you're kind of talking to your best friend as you're reading it, and they're giving you some advice. See, and that just, again, makes it just so much more appealing. And you know, we live in it in a world now that is just so um, so changing so fast, it seems, and accelerating. So to provide the information to stimulate young minds to get them on track to really, I see, solve so many of the problems that we have, uh, again, is such a great service. It's so true, isn't it? Yes. So I am. I'm. I'm really excited for kids to get this wonderful book in their hands and and find even questions that they didn't even know that they had. Well, again, going back to the cover, 
Why is my blood red? Oh, this is one of my favorites because I remember as a kid, you hear the term blue bloods a lot. And then you'd look at your arms and you'd see your arteries or your veins and they'd be blue or green. And naturally you think, oh, they have to be blue or green blood, right? But in reality, it's not blue or green at all. It's red, but that's because of what blood has in it. So we have this stuff called hemoglobin. And that's what kind of gets us to get the oxygen into our system. And it bi oxygen binds to hemoglobin, but hemoglobin just happens to be red. So our blood is red. And, you know, and I thought that it was actually that in the body it is blue because that's what I'm seeing. But when I cut it and then it hits oxygen, then it turns red, but not so. That was another myth that people used to think. And the funny thing is there are cases in the world where some animals have blue blood. We've seen some octopuses and spiders that have it. But humans, sadly, just have red blood. We don't have any colorful rainbows of blood. <laughs> oh, it really do. There are um, uh, spiders and octopus that have blue blood in them? Yes. So we have a few. So we do on um, each spread, we like to put like one little fun fact and especially about animals because that's Nat Geo's true forte. And what we love to do is just put a fact out there, which kind of sparks the kid to go, hmm, I want to go look that up. So we literally <laughs> just say some animals do have blue blood, like octopuses and spiders. And we put a cute little animal that has a the blue blood next to it. And then we have kids go and search it and see if they can find the answer of which ones exactly do. <laughs> that again, that makes it so much fun. It just makes it almost like a game and really then becomes so appealing, doesn't it? Yes. Well, and speaking of games, we love our games. So we have several sidebars where you can do quizzes, you can do matching. Um, some of my favorite are the trivia questions because I like to see. We don't actually give you the answers in the text, so we're going to kind of test you to see if you could guess the right answer. And then if you don't, or if you do, you've learned a new fact. So, for example? Yes. Would you like to take a quiz? Sure. Why not? All right. So, on our Can I Taste Every Flavor section, we have one that says, true or false? Your taste buds for different tastes are located in different sections of your tongue. Um, <laughs> well, maybe this is cheating because of what you said earlier. So I'm going to say no. Exactly. I did pick that one on purpose. So I was like, <laughs> we, we, we chatted about it earlier. And I was paying but attention, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but there's other things like um, which substance in your mouth helps digest food? Is it your gums or saliva? And it's saliva, isn't it? It is your saliva. We also go into a little bit more detail about saliva and why you drool um, when we get into the gross section and talk <laughs> about how that helps us break down our food. But then at night, we also just drool because our muscles are relaxing and you can't really help it. There's no, there's no way to not drool at night. So you can't just say, oh, that's so gross. Why are you doing that? Exactly. We all do it. Honestly, we even have a section about picking why people pick their nose and that we're not the only species out there that picks our nose. Um, gorillas and chimpanzees do too. It's just we get those really hard pieces of mucus and we have to get them out or we're, or we have a stuffed up nose and that seems to be the only response that we have. 
<laughs> See, again, you know, dispelling our saying, oh, that's gross. Why are you doing it? Understanding that there are times and reasons to do so. Yes, yeah. it's so true. It's just how our body works. We can't control it. <laughs> right. You know what? I'm going to flip back to to the tongue and, and taste buds and, and debunking the fact that uh, we taste, we used to think that different areas of the tongue tasted like sour, different areas tasted sweet. I mean, I remember really, I thought I saw actually diagrams in a book on that and, and really believed that that was so. Oh, yes. We've come up with over the years diagrams of the brain and the tongue saying, oh, this is, and I remember used to taking like a Sour Patch Kid, right, and putting <laughs> it on a certain part of my tongue, thinking I could taste it more in one area or the other. And that's completely false. The one thing that is true, though, is that our sense of smell and our sense of taste are very well connected. And if you plug your nose, you could probably drink that green smoothie that you might be kind of grossed out about. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that really is something that is so interesting, how those two really correlate so strongly. Yes. And it's fascinating, too, a lot of our body's responses, whether it's Um, We don't like a stinky smell or a sour taste make us pucker our face. It's actually just our body's response to tell our brain and ourselves, hey, this might not be good for us. Um, And it's just kind of evolved over that way. And when it comes to, for example, puckering your face, you know, the reason why we do that, it's a response to acidity. But our body hasn't quite figured out the range of acidity. So sometimes when you taste that lemon, our body instant reaction is there's acid in it. I need to not eat this. I need to have a reaction. But the truth is it's really healthy for us. But it also prevents us if we were to eat something extremely acidic that could harm us, um, we get the same response. What's interesting, though, and I guess this is where the brain comes in, sometimes uh, we could just see that lemon and it already causes us to, to make faces as though we were tasting it. Yes, it's true. I think we've had, we we store our memories somewhere and there's the sense of smell and then also the visual that if we didn't like something in the past or if we've had a bad association with it, we have a memory bank that goes, no, I don't want that. I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And in in that um, section on the brain, which is really so fascinating because it is Well, it's wrinkly. Well, let's talk about that. Why is it so wrinkly? Oh, so that was the most, one of the most fascinating facts to me is one, that our brain is actually made up of lots of fat and it's very wrinkly and that we actually don't have the largest brain on the planet. You would think, oh, we we are one of the most intelligent species on the planet. And that's actually, it doesn't relate to your brain size. So why we have all these wrinkles is because of surface matter. Your brain wants to be able to have as much ability as humanly possible. And by wrinkling, you actually get a larger brain, but it's just all condensed into one. It also provides a lot of things that happen in the brain require reactions between the areas of the brain. So from what they call neuron to neuron. And to get those messages across, the more it's wrinkled, the closer those neurons are. And therefore, your brain works faster. 
And so who has the largest brain? You know, we don't know who has the largest brain, but we do know of humans who had the most wrinkles. Uh, And he was Albert Einstein. So possibly the wrinkles, oh, because of the connections, as you just explained, Mm -hmm. um, all of that, yeah, all the wrinkles in there. Uh, If he had more, and we know what a brilliant person he was, that kind of correlates, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, we still, there's so much we don't know about the brain, but one of the things that we still don't understand is actually how those wrinkles form. So we think we figured out why we have wrinkles, but there's kind of two camps about why those wrinkles are there and how they, they come to being. And some think it's because parts of the brain grow faster than others. And then others think that those neurons actually have a really strong pull towards each other. And so that tissue just caves in and pulls together wrinkles. And I wonder uh, when we will understand that. Maybe children who have these books now, as they really delve more into it, they're going to find the answers in a decade or two or so. Well, isn't that the fun part, too? We have a whole section on the future, and those are all those questions that, either children and then also scientists are now asking. But the truth is, this book in, who knows, like maybe it is a decade, could be outdated by then because the future will be today. Kind of like that the Star Trek idea where it's like, oh, we can't communicate to one another that quickly. We can't, or when cell phones weren't even a thing. And then, you know, give us 40 years. And next thing you know, we can imagine our lives without this form of technology. Right. That, and and that it is th- this small computer with unbelievable amounts of information that fits in the palm of our hand. Exactly. Right. So exactly how, um, you know, th- this evolving happens, this kind of evolution happens, and then that even the time is compressed as to how all this comes about. It's true. Right? So who knows what these books will contain in even just a decade? Are you excited about what you may be pulling together and and presenting to the public? Oh, yes. I mean, honestly, as an editor, it's really fun to be on those front lines, especially in the sciences, because as soon as you put a book out, you know that someone is still working on it actively out there in the research community. I mean, we tease that one of the fastest paced sciences is actually um, paleontology, the study of dinosaurs, because we keep thinking, oh, we, we know all there is to be, know about dinosaurs. And then next thing you know, something pops up and we learn that dinosaurs had feathers or this animal wasn't just in the water. And it's so fun to be like, all right, in the next book, we talked about this in the previous one, but now look at this, especially with the illustrations or the photos, look what we can show you today. Yeah, isn't it amazing? And we've actually, um, on this show, had that opportunity to talk about dinosaurs a number of times. So I, and, and I'm amazed that, oh, another dinosaur book. And again, as you just say, something new has come along and it just, you know, evolves into this, all these new facts that we find out. So uh, Natural Geographic just does this amazing, important work for for all ages and and to to keep our 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 brains are really stimulated and and us growing and learning 
and we're empowering that next generation to find the answers to those questions. So I feel honored that I get to ask those questions in these books and then see what comes of it in the future from all of the children who are reading it today. So do you ever actually get any mail or emails uh, from kids or families uh, giving you information about what they found with having a book in their hands? Oh, we do. And they are some of my favorite letters. I love a good handwritten letter telling me about what they learned and asking me any questions. Sometimes they'll ask the author and I'll forward it on to the author. It They're the cutest things. They're usually in pencil or crayon and telling me all the facts that they've learned and what they've told their classroom. We've even had teachers reach out to us and, and share with us what they uh, introduced to their kids um, through one of our books. And it just, it feels, it's so fulfilling. You, you really appreciate what you get to do in this job. And th- that is so excellent. I, I wasn't thinking of it necessarily in a classroom setting, but it is perfect to use in classrooms because it's just such a launching pad for so much conversation and stimulation with kids and then to encourage them to write questions or thank yous or respond in some way and send those to you. There's just so much real involvement that I think is so exciting for kids. Yes, and what this book spurs is this interest in like, what other questions do I have? What other why questions do I not know that this book didn't cover? And then they go and find out or they ask their parent or teacher or a scientist that they know or a doctor. Exactly. And maybe even try to stump their doctor <laughs> when they go and have whatever kind of visit they're going to have. Oh, I guarantee you they will. I love learning from children. They are the smartest humans, and especially when we're talking about dinosaurs, when they they love to look at me and tell me, oh, this this dinosaur name, and it did this. And I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. (laughs) How do you know how to pronounce that? So this book will empower them with a lot of terms and ideas that, quite frankly, some people might not know yet. And then they get to enlighten them. Precisely. It's just such a, I, I just can't help but thinking of it as a launching pad for kids to have this kind of information in easily accessible format and, and also just so descriptive that, you know, just really is making their lives so much greater right now. But just, again, what it means for their future, our future, really. Oh, yeah. Well, and we also talk about some really serious subjects too, especially in light of things like the pandemic and vaccines or, and we don't talk about it as in depth as other books, um, just because this is more of a, a, a generic why of the human body. But we even, we even touch on what happens during the transition into adolescence and why does your hair change as you get older? Why do you, or why do some siblings look alike and some don't? Um, we really get into some of the subjects that, that they're grappling with as preteens or late elementary school students. And it begins to, uh, well, the debunking in so many ways. It just yeah. makes life so much more understandable and uh, something that we can not fear, but but really embrace and just have fun with. Yes. Yeah like they say, knowledge is power. And it's very nice to not have 
as much uncertainty and unknowns, especially as a child, to have that information and feel like I understand what's happening to me or I understand what is going on in my body or why I feel this way. And that you're not necessarily different. It's just the way your body works. And that, oh, isn't that such a key thing? There's all, there's so often like, well, you're not like me, so therefore not as good as. And this just really makes it so apparent, you know, all the differences. We are all unique and individual and every single one is good. Yes. And the things that sometimes we in society say are embarrassing it's not just you. It's all of us, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, too. Exactly. And you, the timing, Christina, couldn't be any better. You know, with summer just uh, r- really beginning, and sometimes, you know, there are these days of, what are we going to fill them up with? This will more than fill up, you know, all the weeks of summer ahead and beyond. Oh, I hope so. It is the perfect size that you could bring it to the beach or on vacation or especially in the car and play. Honestly, I'd play some trivia with my parents if I were taking this on a road trip. Ask them the question and see if they know the answer. Exactly. Yes. And and that kind of engagement and and learning together and realizing, you know, just how how times are changing and how maybe, yeah, I as this young kid can really be uh, stumping my parents or helping them to learn something different. New. Yes, it's, it's a great book for co-learning, too. It, Parents and children or grown-ups and children can engage together. Or even like an older sibling and the younger ones can chat about it. Exactly. Well, Christina, you're so much fun to talk with. And the book, of course, is such major fun. And it's new and ready to pick up at any of our favorite book sources, correct? Yes, it is. It's available online and in your book brick-and-mortar stores. And Kate, it was such a delight to chat with you as well. Thank you so much for having us, and I hope to chat with you soon again. Well, and I look forward to it because I know that there's just unlimited information that keeps coming in the form of books from National Geographic and National Geographic Kids, which is what we're focused on today. So, Christina Sauer, it's just been wonderful. Have a great summer. You too. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Christina Sauer and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Michael Garko. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or to share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of some great family time together, doing something fun and adventurous and celebrating Dad. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.